she was called Britain's most evil woman. Her name, Myra Hindley. Myra was a notorious serial killer who, along with her lover, was jailed for life in 1966 for killing two children. Further investigations revealed the murder of uh, three additional kids, so five in total. The couple abducted little children, tortured them, and in one instance, tape recorded the whole incident. And when the tape was played at the trial, people were stunned by what they witnessed. And it raised the question, how can someone possibly be so evil? And that earned Myra Hindley the title, Britain's Most Evil Woman. Whenever the question of her release came up, there was always a public outrage. She remained a monster in the eyes of the public, and no one wanted her out of prison. Now, have you ever wondered why God would allow a woman like Myra Hindley to live? We regularly hear disturbing news like this, showcasing the depravity of humans. Terrorism, genocides, murders, rapes, human trafficking, the list goes on and on. Now, it is one thing to hear something like this on the news, and it's completely different to experience it yourself. And some of you have been at the receiving end of great evil, traumatic events like childhood sexual abuse, betrayal by a spouse, financial scams, people luring your kids into drugs. Now, have you ever wondered, where is God in the midst of all this? Where is God when evil seems to thrive all around us? It is not a surprise. More people point to the problem of evil and suffering as their reason for not believing in God more than any other reason. Wouldn't it be great if God can just get rid of the Myra Hindleys of the world who torture and kill innocent children? That he would wipe out the Hitlers and the Pol Pots before they could execute their devious plan that killed millions of people? Why can't an all-powerful God just obliterate evil in one master stroke? Is he not capable of that? We are in a sermon series called The Kingdom of Heaven is Like. And it is based on the parables of Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus taught extensively on the kingdom of heaven, he brought a new perspective. God's kingdom is here in one sense, and there's a sense in which the kingdom is not here yet. There is a present and a future facet to the kingdom of heaven. There's a tension between the already and the not yet. And sometimes Jesus emphasized that the kingdom of heaven is here already. It has arrived. God's reign has come through the incarnation of Jesus. That Jesus has already begun the work of transformation and renewal. And I'm sure as Jesus was teaching these uh, very truths, someone interrupted and said, 
Jesus, all this teaching about the kingdom of heaven is great. But look around. We're still under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. They treat us like slaves. They crucify our people. They take away our hard-earned money and land. They make a mockery of our religious beliefs. They abuse our women. Isn't the Messiah's job to get rid of these evildoers? How can we reconcile the kingdom of heaven being here when evil seems to abound in our world? Jesus came up with a parable to respond to this very question. Where is God amidst all the evil surrounding us today? Why does he not do something about it? I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we honor the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 30. Jesus told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At the time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we know that we are dealing with a heavy subject here. The reality and the presence of evil all around us. And we want to hold on to the conviction that you are a good God. You are a faithful God. You are a sovereign God who holds the entire universe in the palm of your hand. And you give us promises that we can hold on to even when evil seems to have its way in our life, in our world. So encourage us through your word today that our hearts will be lifted up as we talk about the victory that you have won on our behalf. We ask these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus lived in an agricultural society, so he used illustrations that were drawn from the common life experiences of people. Uh, keep in mind, when we read these parables today, uh, we have a lot of resources available at our disposal. First of all, we have a written Bible that enables us to go over a passage multiple times. We have Study Bibles that give us additional details that can help with the interpretation. We also have scholarly commentaries and resources on the internet that throw light on a text. 
But the first hearers of these parables didn't have any of these tools. They only heard it once. Uh, granted, they were able to relate with the stories because they were taken from their common life experiences. But to see the spiritual meaning behind the parable requires greater sensitivity. The parables here in Matthew chapter 13 begin with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus uses these stories to teach spiritual truths about the kingdom of heaven. And we have here a fascinating story of a farmer who did something that would be construed as bizarre. It was not the norm. There's a twist in the story that would have raised eyebrows. A wealthy farmer who owns fields and servants sows good seeds in his field. The good seed is wheat, a staple food product during Jesus' time. And that's how they made their delicious flatbread. But while they were all sleeping, probably at night, a rival farmer does something mischievous. This guy secretly sows some weeds in the wheat field and quietly slips away. This is some kind of an olden day attempt at bio-warfare. The weed here is called darnel. It is a poisonous weed that carried a fungus that could attack the wheat. And worse, if this was consumed, it could make you sick. But here was the challenge. Darnel was hard to distinguish because it looks so much like wheat in its initial stages. So it's not possible to differentiate between the two when they are young. The wheat finally has years, heads of grain become visible, and then, lo and behold, the weeds also become obvious. The workers, the servants in the field, realize that they have a big problem on their hand, and they panic. So they go to the master with a question here in verse 27 of our text. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir... Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Now that question will help you to understand the point Jesus is trying to make in this parable. The servants are saying basically, Sir, you're a good man. You sowed good seeds in your field. Your field should have a great crop of wheat. From where did this poisonous darnels come from? Now, they wanted to know the source of the stuff. Where did it originate from? Now, does it sound a bit familiar? Can you see how this echoes our questions to God about the evil in our world today? God, you're good. You created everything good. The world rightfully belongs to you. Where did all this evil, these devilish things, where did they come from? The master's response to the servant is, this is not my work. It is the work of an enemy. He is to be blamed. It is a rival farmer who had malicious intentions. He has ruined our field. The workers now have a follow-up question. 
Do you want us to uproot these bad weeds? That would be the natural, normal thing to do. Now, if you did some gardening this past summer, you battled with these pesky weeds, lawn weeds, didn't you? You didn't plant the weed. They sprung up, and now they want to compete with your good plants. So what do we do? We go to Home Depot, and we look for products whose names sound like weapons of mass destruction. Killex, Total Wipeout, Top Gun, Weed Be Gone. I don't know why they have such terrifying names, like we're trying to somehow scare the weeds or something. And then when you finally get to uproot those weeds, you actually feel good about it psychologically. I don't know about you, but I find it to be therapeutic. And I don't think anyone has an ounce of compassion on these poor weeds. No one wants them. No one feels sorry for them. There are no weed huggers as far as I know. Everyone wants it to be gone. Get rid of it. So the servants in our parable want to know, can we use weed be gone and get rid of these annoying things? Here's the interesting part. Most farmers would have said, yes, of course, get rid of the weeds. They are destroying the field. They don't belong here. But this particular farm owner's response in Jesus' story is quite puzzling. Look at what he says. No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together with the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So the farm owner realizes that there is a problem. He's not dismissing that. When, but the thing is, when weeds grow along with the wheat, their roots are intertwined. You pull the weed out, you're going to uproot the wheat prematurely. So the good crop will be destroyed along with the darnels. So the farmer makes a decision that seems to be baffling on the outside. Let them grow side by side. We'll take care of it in the end. Let them grow side by side? Hello? Don't you know the power of weeds? That they can take over the whole field? That they can destroy all of the crop? But this particular farmer is not sweating He's relaxed over this. He's confident that it will all pan out well in the end. Now, Jesus is using this parable not to teach some new agricultural technique, but he is using this to respond to the questions that people are posing to him. Why does God allow evil and suffering? Why does he not do something about it? Does he not care? Is he immune to our pain? In the new kingdom that Jesus is launching, good and evil will coexist for now. It is a temporary time. It is unavoidable. But don't worry. 
God is not sweating over it. He's not losing sleep. He's confident of his plan. For there is coming a day when all evil will be wiped out from the face of the earth. Now, if all you heard was this parable being spoken to you, it would take great spiritual sensitivity to understand the significance behind it. The disciples of Jesus were dummies. They didn't get the meaning of the parable. But thankfully, they had the humility to ask Jesus for the interpretation. And the good news is, Jesus himself interprets the parable for the disciples in private. You know, he doesn't interpret all of the parables, only a few of them. And here is one example. And I want to read out a Jesus interpretation of the same parable in Matthew 13, verses 36 to 43. Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, so you see that he, they can't understand. So they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So referring to himself. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned up in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now that's a phrase that Jesus uses very often. If you want to understand, pay attention to what I'm saying. Now let me point out some important things that Jesus highlights here for us. Jesus makes the identity of the different people in the parable very clear. He is the one who sows the good seed. Jesus is the good farmer. The wheat signifies all those who are part of God's kingdom. So it's referring to God's people. The enemy who plants the weeds or darnel is Satan. He's the one who opposes God's kingdom. The weeds or darnel are those who are following Satan. And the field is the world. Now, some people have mistakenly assumed that the parable is about the church. So they go on to say the wheat signifies those who are true Christians, and the weeds are referring to those who are counterfeit Christians in the church. But as you can see in Jesus' interpretation, he is very clear. The field is not the church. He's calling it the world. He's referring to the whole world. So what Jesus is saying is, we as believers coexist with those who do evil. And this is referring to saints and sinners rubbing shoulders in this world. 
So we wrestle with the problem of evil that's all around us. And as we are wrestling, here are some things we need to know as Christians. First of all, Satan is at work. The parable teaches us that we need to hear this truth. While God's reign is active in the world, so is evil. The kingdom of God stands in stark contrast to the kingdom of the world. There is a collision between these two kingdoms, and we cannot take this lightly. There are only two kinds of people, people who belong to the kingdom of God, and there are those who belong to Satan. There isn't any middle ground. And both these rival groups coexist in this world for the time being. That means spiritual warfare and hostility is to be expected. In a pragmatic Western society, any reference to powers of darkness is seen as primitive or superstitious. We think all this stuff don't apply to us because we can explain everything rationally. But if you take the Bible seriously, then you have to accept the reality of evil and the presence of the evil one who opposes the kingdom of God. Satan uses evil people to hurt God's kingdom agenda. Now, I'm not saying he's successful at it, but at least he tries hard. In fact, if we are not facing spiritual warfare as a church, then there's something wrong with us. Chances are the devil is not taking us too seriously. He's dismissing us off because we are not imposing, we are not a threat to his kingdom. You know, I don't want the devil to ever say, ah, leave Center Street Church alone. They don't amount to much. No, in fact, I want us to be on the top of the devil's hit list because the devil recognizes here is a church that is sold out on fulfilling God's kingdom agenda and his purposes for our generation. The devil better take note of that. Now that is true at the individual level as well. Each one of us, our families, are also engaging in this spiritual warfare. When you as an individual is committed to living your life fully for Jesus, when you want your family to be a lighthouse for the gospel, when God wants to use you as his instrument, then expect oppositions. Just as Jesus sows the good seeds of the gospel, the enemy is also active in sowing seeds that cause his kingdom to grow and his influence to remain in this world. And Satan will do everything in his power to keep you from believing in God to compromise your Christian convictions, to minimize your spiritual resolve. And Satan will continue to work in the world to convince people that living selfish life is better than living in obedience to God. 
So let's all know this as a matter of fact. Satan is at work. And here's the second thing we need to know. Evil will be destroyed. Yet another truth clearly stated in this parable is God is going to take care of all the evil in this world. It may appear for now that God's kingdom is coexisting with the evil kingdoms of this world. But don't come to the conclusion based on that, that God is inactive or apathetic. God has a plan, and at the right time, He is going to put an end to all evil. Look at what Jesus is saying here. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, he's talking now about those who belong to the kingdom. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus, as the righteous judge, will uproot all evil from the face of the earth. And all evildoers will be held accountable. No one will be allowed to go scot-free. Ultimate justice will be served. That is a matter of great comfort to all who have been wronged. Satan has already been defeated, and one day his evil influence will be completely removed. Jesus uses here the imagery of a fiery furnace. And that is a clear reference to hell. And Jesus says there will be weeping in hell. Great sorrow, deep regrets as people reflect on their personal actions, their hardness of heart and unwillingness to listen. And there will be gnashing of teeth. And that could be a sign of despair or even one of anger. There is no genuine repentance in hell, but a sense of seething anger as people continue to express their rebellion against God. And Jesus intentionally uses these strong visual imageries to paint the reality of the future. But in total contrast are those who belong to His kingdom. Look at what He says about them. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. God's people will radiate as they reflect the glory and splendor of God in the renewed creation. On the day, there will be no rival or enemy who can stand up against God's kingdom. So when you see evil all around you now, don't despair. We are called to live our lives today in light of this future reality. We are called to lean on God's promises. Bishop N.T. Wright uses this great analogy. We wait with patience, 
Not like people in a dark room wondering if anyone will ever come with a lighted candle. But like people in early morning who know that the sun has risen and are now waiting for the full brightness of midday. Now that leaves us with one final question. Why is God delaying the consummation of his kingdom? Why is he allowing evil to prosper? Why not uproot it right away? Why not weed out the field instead of allowing them to grow side by side? Here's the answer. God is being patient. God doesn't relish the sight of a wheat field with weeds all over the place. But at the same time, He doesn't declare harvest time soon and destroy the weeds because the weeds also represent people who are made in His image. Look at what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting, this is His heart, this is the heart of God, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Don't think God is being too slow. Don't come to the conclusion God is being uncaring or indifferent to the presence of evil. Now, the reason He is withholding judgment is because He is patient. It is for our good. And as I mentioned before, the wheat and the darnels look very similar when they are young. So when the servants ask the master, can we get rid of the weeds? The master says, no, because the servants could mistakenly uproot the good wheat and destroy the crop. And if we, like the servants, insist that we uproot the weeds, the weeds from the field, it will be our job to determine who is a weed and who is a wheat. And boy, I tell you, we are in trouble because they look awfully alike. Let me give you an example. Think of a guy in his teenage years, begins living with another woman and makes her pregnant. And after living with her for 15 years, he decides to dump her because he's just a heartless man. And he gets engaged to another woman for all the selfish reasons to advance his own career. And while he's engaged to the second woman, he ends up in an affair with the third woman. And if all this is not enough, he quits going to church and instead joins a cult. And then he becomes altogether bored with religion and turns into a total skeptic. Now, you and I would agree that this guy fits the description of the poisonous weed in every way. Malicious, cunning, immoral. And you and I will have no second thoughts in condemning this person to hellfire. Except the person that we're talking about 
is Saint Augustine, one of the early church fathers and a brilliant Christian theologian. Augustine had a praying mother who refused to give up on her wayward son. And one day, at the height of his desperation, Augustine hears the voice of a little child singing a song. Pick it up and read it. Pick it up and read it. And realizing that that song was a command from God to open and read the scriptures, Augustine picks up a Bible that he finds, opens it, and what he reads convicts him. And that moment, that very moment, Augustine's heart was flooded with light and he turned away from a life of sin and turned to Jesus to save him. And his life from there onwards resulted in great fruit for God's kingdom. Now what about the most evil woman in Britain? The woman who showed no remorse in her trial, but just a cold, hollow look. The one who tortured and killed children was nicknamed Monster. Apparently came to faith in Christ in her prison cell. Now, I don't know this personally, but John Swinton, a professor from the University of Aberdeen, came to Ambrose University here in Calgary. I heard him speak. And he claimed that Myra Hindley, in the latter years of her life, became a born-again Christian, had a deep faith and a genuine love for Jesus. The prison therapist who worked closely with Myra observed remarkable changes in her life and was quoted saying, I think Myra was evil then but it's not evil now. The gospel of Christ declares that no one is beyond redemption. The miracle of the gospel is seeds of the enemy, cohorts of the devil, human beings who are aligning with the forces of darkness can be redeemed, transformed, can switch their allegiance and become part of God's great kingdom. And they don't have to remain as poisonous darnels, but God in His grace has made a way for them to become shining lights who declare His praise and glory. That is why God is not sending judgment yet because He is giving an opportunity for people to populate His kingdom and turn to Him for salvation. I'm going to hand it now to our worship team. And as we sing this closing song, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a great opportunity to thank God for He is our salvation. And friend, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you today. Don't take God's patience for granted because no one has promised a second opportunity. Now is the day of your salvation. Would you open your heart to Jesus? And if you do that, I can assure you that very moment, He will come into your life and transform you as well. 
Let's join together and sing with our worship team right now.